You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. We sing of James, Christ's brother, who at Jerusalem told how God loved the Gentiles and in Christ welcomed them. Rejoicing in salvation, may we too, by God's grace, extend Christ's invitation to all the human race. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, majoring in the minors. Proclaiming the One is a program where we take a look at the upcoming readings for our worship service in the Divine Service, and majoring in the minors is a branch of that program where we take a look at minor festivals, feast days, commemorations, and occasions in the church year. Today, we are looking at James of Jerusalem brother of Jesus and martyr. The church has set aside October 23, October 23, for the commemoration and celebration of St. James of Jerusalem. Pastor, we've had this talk before, and uh, I don't, I don't want to belabor the point, but when you get the name Herod or you get the name James, you, you have to ferret out just a little bit which James are we talking about. We have already had a Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors program on St. James the Elder. Uh, we have also had a uh, Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors program on James and Jude. And I guess it was Simon and Jude, Simon and Jude, Simon the Zealot. Uh, but there's a James the Less. Um, and now we have James, the brother of our Lord. Are these three different people? Uh, that is a good question that, you know, is a very difficult thing for us to answer. And the, the challenge is, is that there's nobody named James in the Bible. Uh, the name is actually Jacob. And uh, Jacob, being the patriarch, uh, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, um, the one whom all these promises kind of were given to in the Old Testament, uh, is a popular name in the same way that, you know, um, somebody in your family is named uh, after their father, after their grandfather, after their great-grandfather uh, for generations going back. Um, and so because James uh, Jacob is such an um, important person in the Old Testament, there's all sorts of people who want that uh, import and uh, theological history attached to their child, so they name their kid Jacob after him. And uh, it gets to be rather difficult. They didn't have last names. We don't have them recorded for us, so uh, we do the best that we can according to what we know. Kind of like Archie Manning's grandson, Archie Manning, to distinguish grandson from dad, he's called Arch. And uh, so there's probably a lot of that stuff going on. This is what the uh, Lutheran Book of Worship Manual on the Liturgy says of James of Jerusalem. And trust me, folks, uh, there is very, very little historical information on this particular date. And uh, this was pretty much all I could find. The traditional Western identification of James, the brother of our Lord, with James the Younger, James the Less, is rejected by nearly all New Testament scholars. Uh, 
since there is no evidence in the Gospels that Jesus' brother was a disciple until he became a witness to the resurrection. The Eastern Church commemorates James on this date, October 23, and the festival has been accepted by several Anglican calendars. St. Paul and the Book of Acts both testify to James' presence in the church at Jerusalem and his diplomatic resolution of the dispute between Jew and Gentile at the Council of Jerusalem, Galatians 2, Acts 15. According to church traditions and the Jewish historian Josephus, he was stoned to death approximately A.D. 62. So, Pastor, um, react to that. Well, I think um, there, again, we're going to see what the Scriptures say, and that's where we have our beginning point. And the Jerusalem Council, the uh, account that we're going to have for our Gospel lesson, and even um, you know, the book of Galatians then that he mentioned, that's where we have to begin. Josephus does speak about James, uh, which is really important. But again, then, distinguishing between which James is which and all this stuff gets to be a rather hard thing to do. And that's where I think the book that you just read maybe is um, not helpful because I think the early church is able to see through things much easier than we are because they're much closer. Uh, and so, you know, which James are we talking about? We, we don't know. <laughs> are we talking about the James, the author of the epistle, James? There's debate there as well, and that's the thing that gets to be really difficult. But what we know is that James is in the scriptures and that it is a faithful book. Um, and so we'll just, um, that's what I could tell you there. Well, you know, one of the things that we have tried really, really hard to do with this uh, proclaiming the one majoring in the minors program is focus on the Word of God and not spend an hour talking about history and tradition and all these things that may or may not be true. And one of the things, uh, because we, we, are, we have the opportunity here at Good Shepherd to um, celebrate these minor festivals on our Wednesday night service quite often, one of the things that I've tried to impress upon the vicars is don't worry about the history. Don't give us a history lesson. Give us a sermon. Pick one of the readings and preach the text and preach Jesus from that text. And that's really the goal of our Proclaiming the One programming is to dig deep into the scriptures and to proclaim the one and only Savior from sin, Jesus Christ. With that in mind, let's go to the gospel reading for St. James of Jerusalem, brother of Jesus and martyr, Matthew 13, 54 to 58. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers, James, and Joseph, and Simon, and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Where, then, did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Okay. Lots of stuff here in this text. Um, and coming to his hometown, Pastor, what town are we talking about? 
Well, um, we're talking about Jesus' hometown, and Jesus' hometown is the village of Nazareth, which today, um, almost the entirety of the town that we'd be talking about in the scriptures located underneath the Basilica of the Annunciation. Uh, the inside the Basilica, of course, they have the house they believe is the house Jesus was raised in, the house they believe the Virgin Mary uh, saw the angel who said you're going to become pregnant. Is it necessarily that house? Uh, it's impossible to tell, but there are a lot of historical remains that you can visit that are the actual town that Jesus would have grown up in. And it is not that big. Uh, maybe a couple hundred people living in there um, in the town. They're living in cave houses um, where you have a, a cave dug out underground and then maybe one room built on top of that with stairs. Um, and so it is not a fancy place. It's not cosmopolitan. It is kind of like an armpit of uh, Galilee um, that we're talking about. And everybody in that town would have known each other in the same way uh, that small towns still operate today even here in Nebraska. Um, you know, I lived in Hankinson, North Dakota, uh, which had about 800 people in the metro area. <laughs> and everybody knew everybody uh, and uh, was able to talk about everybody behind their back and to uh, visit about things uh, if necessary. And so that's the same sort of thing that would have been in Nazareth. And we see that in the gospel lesson as well. Very helpful, very helpful. And uh, so he goes back home. It's kind of like the hometown boy gets invited to preach. He goes to the synagogue, and he teaches there, and they were astonished. Now, this is, this is one of the things that jumps out at me from the text, Pastor. They were astonished at his teaching, but rather than ask him questions or have a dialogue or simply believe the words that he was teaching, they get hung up on something else. They get hung up on the identity of Jesus. They get hung up on all of these side issues because who does this guy think he is? That he can speak authoritatively the word of God. He's just the lowly carpenter's son. And uh, I think that that belies a danger for all of us that we uh, think about the person that is delivering the message rather than the message itself. And uh, I don't know, com comments on that? I, th I think that's a problem still today, isn't it? It is a problem still today, and it is something that we need to always repent of because the important thing for us is the hearing of the word. I think, too, this also gives us a picture of the um, union of the two natures in our Lord Jesus Christ and how complete and total it was. So the Jesus that they knew and had talked to when he was a kid growing up, there was nothing there that said, this is the Son of God, and yet he still was. Um, there's no teaching or anything that took place in Nazareth that would say, oh, he should become a great teacher or anything like that. That's his divine nature that allows him to do a lot of the preaching and teaching that he's able to do. And yet uh, it was still so perfectly hidden in the human nature that they just thought, well, this is Jesus, and we've always known him, and uh, we always will. And so I think that needs to be brought out here in this particular text as well. Isaiah tells us there was nothing about his form that should attract us to him. Uh, angels did not sing whenever he did something. Didn't uh, have a halo least, that glowed around it, him. At least audibly that people could hear. And uh, there wasn't theme music that played as he walked down the streets of Nazareth. I mean, this was, the, the, this was just a 
regular kid who grew up into a regular adolescent teenager who grew up into um, a man and now people are are really rightly confused with regard to the identity of Jesus and that's that's where I want to go next because while they are focusing on all these outward things rather than the word of God it is important to get the identity of Jesus right isn't it it is. It's very important um, because unless Jesus is both God and man um, and uh, these things are understood properly, then his death on the cross doesn't actually forgive your sins. If you get confused about these things, uh, then you have an issue in your salvation theology as well, which is why uh, the devil is always in the details. That's why we need to make sure we study these things and get them correct and confess them correctly as well. So I want to give I want to give the people here the proper amount of slack for wanting to truly know the identity of Jesus. Unfortunately, the way the identity of Jesus was to be revealed to them was in the preaching and proclamation of the word of God. And it appears here that they had at least in part closed their ears to the word of God and to the heart, soul, center, and content of Jesus' message. Do you you think that's a fair assessment of uh, what's going on here, Pastor? Yes, and I think that we do the same thing even today. If your family member that you've known tells you something theologically, you'll say, who do you think you are? Or shut up, you know, I know better than you. Or even if you're a kid and your parent does. So we need to repent of ourselves and believe the Word of God always. We need to take a short break. Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minor, St. James of Jerusalem, October 23 on the church's calendar. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we're looking at St. James of Jerusalem, Brother of Jesus and Martyr, October 23 on the church's calendar. I'm Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Thomas Goodroad. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. In our first segment, we introduced the day, St. James of Jerusalem, Brother of Jesus and Martyr, October 23. We spent a little time on the history and trying to uh, ferret out the identity of this particular St. James, Brother of Our Lord, and uh, suffice it to say, there is not a consensus with regard to the identity. We're not going to worry about that. We're going to move on. We started uh, uh, Matthew 13, 54 to 58, which is the gospel reading appointed for this day. We talked about Jesus now in Nazareth, uh, preaching at the synagogue in his hometown, and the reaction to that uh, particular sermon. Um, Rather than, I mean, they heard the words, they were astonished at his teaching, and yet their focus was shifted. And now we want to talk about this shift of focus first because it's really, really important with regard to the identity of Jesus 
and by extension, the identity of Mary, because our text talks about brothers and sisters of Jesus. And so we need to we need to explore that. We're not going to shy away from that question. We're going to dig deep into this, and then hopefully we'll have some time to um, probe Vickers' question that he uh, asked during the break, is what should the ha- response of the people have been to the words of Jesus? Uh, the response, uh, they were astonished. Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? And then they go on. Uh, Matthew thirteen fifty five, is not this the carpenter's son and is not his mother called Mary and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and are not all his sisters with us where then did this man get all these things and they took offense at him they took offense at the words of Jesus because they thought he's just some regular guy, um, carpenter's son, acting as if he had the authoritative word of God to proclaim to them. Now, before we get into that part of it, what are we to make of this with regard to brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his unnamed sisters? You know, you know the question and the debate that is in the church, Pastor, um, with regard to Mary. Uh, there, there are some uh, very, very faithful confessional Lutherans that would hold to the virginity of Mary after she gave birth and uh, throughout her marriage to Joseph. Uh, sometimes referred to as the perpetual virginity of Mary. The Lutheran confessions even call Mary in one place the ever-virgin, the semper virgo. So, um, and then the other side of the coin is that um, there there is nothing super sanctified about being a virgin. Marriage is a gift from God. It's a wonderful, God-pleasing vocation. If Mary had children after she had the only begotten Son of God from her womb, Jesus, that does not take anything away from the person and work of Jesus. So have I framed that question or that situation uh, properly, Pastor, or is there more to it than that? No, that that it's a big question, right? Uh, because uh, the bulk of Christianity is Catholic, and they hold to the perpetual virginity of marriage and uh, Mary, and uh, <laughs> that would be a bad thing if it was a perpetual virginity of marriage. Um, they they hold to that, and yet um, it's not something that is taught clearly in the scriptures. And they have their reasons for saying it, and um, I don't think that their their goal is to protect the identity of Christ. Um, and by talking about Mary, that's what they're trying to do. I don't think it's necessary what they actually do, though. I, I think we have this pretty clear here in uh, the Gospel of Matthew that um, 
Jesus at least had half brothers and sisters, um, and that Mary had other kids. Now, I, I know that there can be a big discussion about what does the word relationship mean here? Uh, does it mean brothers and sisters, or does it mean cousins? Does it mean that Joseph had a wife beforehand um, and had kids, and then that wife died, and then he married Mary? Um, you know, we could get in all these debates. It doesn't tell us these things in the scripture because it's not the main focus. It's not the main thrust. The important thing, as this text is teaching, is our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, I think that Jesus did have half-brothers and sisters. I think that that's clear in the names that are given here, right? James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, who are all family names, uh, which tells us that they are, you know, just like we talked about before, James uh, is as as a family name, Jacob. Uh, and so uh, we see that name there before. I think that they are half-brothers. Um, I don't think we should let it be the thing that determines our faith and whether it's true or not. I think our eyes always need to be focused on Jesus primarily and above all other things. So you said before that uh, the Roman Catholics hold to this uh, doctrine of the perpetual virginity of Mary uh, in order to protect Jesus. Um Explain that. I know exactly what you mean. Explain that for our listeners, um, because we confess in the creeds uh, that Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary. Yep. So what more do we need, and how is this teaching of the perpetual virginity of Mary connected to somehow protecting the identity of Jesus? Well, it even goes even beyond just her perpetual virginity, even to her conception. And this is where you have churches of the Immaculate Conception of Mary, even, uh, beyond just the conception of Christ. And it has to do with original sin, ultimately, and how is original sin passed on, and how do we get it in ourselves? We know we inherit it from our parents. So they're trying to get at the question, did Jesus uh, inherit sin from Mary, uh, or or did he not? And so, I mean, in these questions that are all kind of scholastic in their scope, um, and they're not really important if we let God's Word speak for itself, where it says clearly he did not sin. We don't have to explain it, which is what their perpetual virginity of Mary is trying to do, or even the immaculate conception of Mary is trying to do. The Scripture teaches it, and so we confess it, and uh, you know, perhaps when we're in God's kingdom, resurrected, uh, it'll all be made clear and manifest, and we can ask Mary about it, um, you know, if that's the kind of conversation you want to have in, in uh, eternity. But um, their intentions, like I said, are to protect Jesus sinlessness uh, and to protect the death then that he dies for us, but they're doing so by asking scholastic questions, which scripture is not really giving us enough information to do so. And so they are venturing into the realm of philosophy rather than letting theology have the last say. And when whenever you try to add things or try to explain things that are not clearly taught in scripture, uh, Error begets error. And so in order to answer the question with regard to the original sin of Mary, if she had it or not, you create the non-biblical doctrine of the immaculate conception of Mary. Well, if Mary didn't sin, well, then she couldn't have died because the wages of sin is death. And so you create the non-biblical teaching of the assumption of Mary into heaven. Uh, 
And so one leads to the next, leads to the next, and our, our friends in the Roman Catholic Church have an entire section of Scripture called Mariology, and uh, these things ultimately take our focus away from Jesus. So what was intended to protect Jesus and the sinlessness of Jesus uh, ends up distracting away from Jesus. And I think that's a, that's a great example for us. We let Scripture speak, and we cling to the words of Scripture, and we don't add or subtract from the words of Scripture. And I think that's a great lesson for us flowing from this text. Now, Pastor, uh, they were astonished by his words, but then when they thought about the humble origins of Jesus, they, were, they took offense at him. So um, what did they take offense at? And let's... Uh, Let's circle back to uh, Vicar's question. How, how should they have reacted to the teaching of, of Jesus? Well, the, the offense they took is they um, let the commonness of him as a person um, who was born and raised in their town distract from the things that he's saying. Because we think we know who he is, we won't listen to what he has to say because uh, they're basing the validity of what he's saying on his personal identity, identity of who he is. You do this with the pastor, right? If your congregation is a cult of personality, then you hang on everything your pastor says, independent of whether it matches the scriptures or not. And that's kind of what they're doing. What they should have said was, uh, um, you know, tell us more, tell us more. Uh, of what uh, Jesus had said, or even ask questions about it. I think that's an appropriate response from every Christian when they hear the Word of God. Tell me more, tell me more, uh, quoting the movie Grease, of course. But uh, we, Mike, did he walk on water? <laughs> we, we, we hunger and we thirst for the Word of God. Vicar, you asked the question before. I'm going to let you answer your own question. What do you think would have been a great response from the people of Nazareth after they were astonished at the teaching of Jesus? Well, I think for that we would look at the book of Acts. Uh, when the apostles are going into the, well, they are sent into the region of uh, Berea, then they were uh, they're preaching to these people, and they gladly heard the words that they were telling them. And, and so in response, instead of just being skeptical and saying, nah, that's, that's not true, who did this guy think he is, they went to the Scripture. They compared everything that was being preached to them to the Scripture to see if it was true. That's what they should do about, about what Jesus is teaching them now. I think that's... Uh, I think that's uh, excellent advice for all of us. Uh, we don't know what the mighty works were, that Jesus did in Nazareth because the scriptures don't tell us. It's possible that he healed someone or did some, some other kind of miraculous work here because it's mentioned. At the end, uh, it picks up with the mighty works in verse 58. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Pastor, uh, sort that out for us. What does that mean? Well, it means that um, we're in Matthew's gospel. Later on, he's going to talk about this a little bit more clearly even, but uh, he, he doesn't do the miracles if the word is rejected because the entire purpose for the miracles is actually to open people's ears to the word itself, to the preaching, because it's in the word that the Holy Spirit works faith. Faith comes by hearing. It's in the word that um, uh, people become Christians. And so without 
the word, the miracles aren't really going to do anyone any good. And you've brought that out repeatedly in your teaching, preaching, and study of the book of Acts. And we'll have an opportunity when we come back from our break to do just that as we go to Acts 15. This is Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors, St. James of Jerusalem. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we're looking at St. James of Jerusalem, brother of Jesus, and martyr. The church has set aside October 23 for its celebration and remembering of St. James of Jerusalem. In our first two segments, we looked at Matthew 13, 54 to 58. Also did a little bit of the history of uh, this day and... uh, Also, some time on the identity of this particular St. James. Uh, While there's a lot of confusion regarding James, there is no confusion about the importance and the significance of Acts chapter 15. And that um, Old Testament reading this day, that is our first reading, Acts 15, 12 through 22a. Vicar, take it away. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations... Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers. Okay, we have uh, a portion of an extremely significant chapter in Scripture, Acts chapter 15, um, with with no tongue-in-cheek here. Uh, our our uh, pastor, Moline, is uh, quite the scholar with regard to the book of Acts. He spent a lot of time preaching, teaching, studying the book of Acts, and uh, he, will, he will come to your church and put on a presentation and teach you that... Uh, The book of Acts is one of, if not the most Lutheran books in all of Scripture, and uh, or a workshop for pastors talking about preaching modeled and based on the book of Acts. His eyes are like silver dollars now because I just sprung this on him. But uh, uh, 
he has uh, he has that kind of uh, wisdom, knowledge, and uh, ability with regard to the Book of Acts. Uh, truly, a wonderful book. A book personally that uh, I really didn't think that much of, uh, to my shame, until I sat at Pastor Moline's feet. And uh, thanks be to God for the work of the Spirit in that respect. So, Pastor, tell us a little bit Acts. 15, verse 12. Tell us a little bit about this assembly. Yeah, um, this particular assembly is um, the very first church council. And it's dealing with a theological issue, and it's teaching us how, when there are theological issues, the church ought to deal with them. And the theological issue that they're dealing with is the question primarily of circumcision or not, or or by extension, um, is the church only for the Jewish descendants, or is it also for Gentiles? Because this has been coming up in the preaching ministry of the church uh, before this, where Paul and Barnabas have been preaching uh, out to places that are not traditionally Jewish and converting pagans into the Christian faith. We even had Peter doing that earlier as well, um, preaching and teaching to non-Christians. And it's an issue that they're trying to figure out. If you're going to be a Christian, do you need to be circumcised and thus brought into the Jewish faith, uh, or do you are you free to not be circumcised and still be a Christian? And it's a theological issue, and you have people on both sides of the argument, and they're all quoting scripture and talking about it. And uh, so this is how the church, this is how church issues happen all the time. And so what they do is they say, let's all get together and let's talk about it, and let's weigh out the arguments and have some conversation about it and debate about it. And it's in the midst of this then that James, uh, who we're celebrating on this particular day, gets up and offers uh, a theological statement and says, um, is this acceptable? acceptable to everyone, and that's exactly what's happening in our uh, particular scripture lesson. And it's not based on whether they think it's acceptable on their own opinion, it's is this teaching and confessing what the scriptures and what Christ has taught us. And that's clear from Acts 15, verse 15, uh, that everything had to uh, agree with the words of the prophets, and then they quote scripture. So right. this is uh, this is how we work things out in the church. It's not take a vote. It's not popular opinion. Right. It's not which side has more political power. It is what does the word of God say? And it's really important that it's not a vote thing. You cannot vote on correct theology or the correct uh, doctrine, and that's really dangerous because we see that in our, our worldly politics, right, where one side does something and then the other side outvotes them later on and undoes it. Um, that that's, that cannot be done with theology. It has to be what does the Word say, and we have to all then come to a consensus that this is what the Word says. And when we try to manipulate those kind of votes, God is mocked, and God will not be mocked. Pastor, I've got a question for you. In verse 14, uh, James is talking, and it says, Brothers, listens to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles, and then it goes on. Uh, who is this Simeon, and what, what part does he play in all this? Yeah, that's a really great thing. I think you see here how James is is trying to bridge the divide between the Jewish Christians and the pagan Christians. Uh, uh, pagan meaning that's how they were born, uh, not maybe Gentile would be a better word, the, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And the way that he's doing it here is he's using Simon Peter's Hebrew name, Simeon. Um, he, he's going back to, look at this is Simon, who is uh, an apostle of Jesus, who is born Jewish, raised in a Jewish family, 
family and home, and now he's going out and preaching to the Gentiles as well to say, look, this can be done by Jews as well. And so it's a effective tactic, if you will, to uh, bridge the divide in the early church. Yeah, I think I think that uh, might just kind of float by us if we didn't uh, pause and park the car there for just a little bit. Um, it's interesting, he makes this quote from Scripture, and then again, James is the one talking. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. So one of the questions, if not the question, is where does the ceremonial law fit into all of this? And do, do Gentile converts need to follow some or all or none of the ceremonial law? Is it Jesus or is it Jesus plus the ceremonial law? And uh, this first council in Acts 15 says it's Jesus and it's Jesus alone. You don't need that ceremonial law. But so as not to cause offense, we are going to ask or plead the Gentiles not to do these specific things that cause offense. Is that a fair way to characterize uh, James's exhortation to the Gentiles uh, not to eat uh, food uh, that had been offered as a sacrifice to idols, sexual immorality, and so forth? It is uh, at least a part of it. Again, you're um, you're always trying to proclaim the truth, which they are here, that it's Jesus only that is our salvation, independent of your um, you know, birth uh, as a Gentile or a Jew. Jesus is the Savior. Um, it's it's working to not offend someone so that there is um, a divide because of that. But it also is dealing with also pagan worship practices where um, the sexual immorality, so the temple of Aphrodite was full of hookers. And so, you know, we don't want to get involved in those things. We have uh, the strangulation and, uh, and eating of meat with the blood still in it, which is a pagan practice. And uh, even the, the meat that you would buy in that day and time in a pagan city, um, you would go to the the forum of the individual town, uh, which they, all the towns are built on the same plan. You have uh, two main roads that go through the center of the town, and where they meet, you built a forum with a temple on one end, and the forum was where there'd be all these shops where you could buy things, and the meat that you would buy was meat that would be sacrificed at an altar there because there's no refrigerators. You don't waste your meat in that way. And so they're, they're, they're trying to make the good confession in the midst of a world that does not um, make exceptions to do that. And so they're trying to walk a road together in a way that ne doesn't offend either side and yet admits the realities of living in that difficult world. And so it is a complicated thing then just as it is now. And I'm not sure I'm making any sense, but uh, uh, trying to. <laughs> well, there, there are things that fit into that category today. If, um, uh, if, you, if you have uh, a Christian, uh, perhaps a weak Christian who has come from a family of alcoholics, 
um, you would not, even in your freedom, in your Christian freedom to be able to drink a beer or a glass of wine, you would not flaunt that freedom in front of them for fear that it might hurt or harm their faith. And there's a, there's a large section of 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 1 Corinthians chapter 8, that uh, talks about um, giving offense, taking offense, the weak brother, food sacrifice to idols, and it's a it, kind of an expansion upon this particular text right here. I'm trying to see the quote. Where is that quote from? The quote is from uh, the book of Amos, okay, chapter that's, 9. That's what I had here, and my, my old eyes are having a hard time. Amos 9, 11, 11 and 12. 12. Yep. So God's Word, I mean, when I think of um, you know God including Gentiles in his promise, I don't immediately think of the book of Amos. Uh, it's throughout the pages of Scripture. It's throughout the Psalms. It's throughout the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And we have this quote here from Amos, which I think is really cool. And so the, uh, the bottom line here, Pastor, you see what time we have left in here. The bottom line here is that Jesus Christ has bled and died and risen from the dead to bring the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation to all people, regardless of their ethnic origin. Is that fair? It is, and then you have freedom in that faith, um, but you don't use your freedom to um, step upon your other brother in the faith. You use your freedom to love and care for them and support them uh, in their day-to-day struggles as well. And so it's keeping those things at tension. Uh, Christ alone saves. You're free in that salvation. So act as a Christian towards your other brothers and sisters in Christ as well. We've been trying to do the same thing, uh, just to give a practical example, uh, with the whole discussion uh, in the pandemic about masks, right? Um, You are not bound to wear one. You're free in Christ. Christ saves you, but also be respectful of your brother and sister in Christ. What unites us is not the color of our skin or the place of our family origin, but a confession. And that confession has an object, the risen Lord Jesus. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. St. James of Jerusalem, brother of Jesus and martyr. October 23 on the church's calendar. Come join us for worship at Good Shepherd, 3825 Wildbriar Lane in South Lincoln. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday school for all ages in between. We have Wednesday evening service year round at 630. And uh, we'd just love to have you join us. Uh, We appreciate the feedback. If you're listening to this on the radio, uh, you know all about KNNA. LP 95.7. All of our worship services are live. Check us out, thecross957.org. Lots of archive programs there. And um, let's dig right into our epistle reading. For St. James of Jerusalem, we're going to James. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Vicar? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. 
Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because, like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Thank you, Vicar. That was James 1, 1 to 12. And uh, I have to tell you that James 1 verse 12 verse is a particular favorite of mine. I've preached on that verse numerous times, especially at funerals of people who have lived a long life or who have lived a life full of trials and suffering. And I think I think it's a beautiful uh, Bible passage. Sometimes people knock the book of James. It is uh, primarily a book of sanctification. And... Um, We'll have uh, more opportunity to talk about that topic in our uh, new program here on uh, KNNALP 95.7, Equipping the Saints. So check that out. Uh, Pastor, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. I don't want to get bogged down on this, but uh, who's he writing this to? Boy, it's the wrong person to ask uh, if you don't want to get bogged down. He's talking about um, the the 12 tribes of Israel in one sense, which in 586 uh, B.C., you know, the last of them, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, uh, are conquered by the Chaldeans. And so it is with that and the prior conquest by the Assyrians that the tribes are spread out all over, um, all over the place. They're in Turkey, they're in Egypt, they're in uh, Iraq, Iran, modern-day states, of course. They're spread out everywhere because they've been conquered and distributed uh, accordingly. That continued through the time of the uh, the Greeks, Alexander, uh, who conquered them again, uh, and then the Seleucids and the Ptolemies fighting back and forth, um, all the way up until the time of the Romans, where now they're in business and they're in all different places in the Roman Empire, as well as the Parthian Empire to the east. Uh, and so he's talking in one sense about them, but then as a extension of that idea, now the Christians church is growing, and it is also in that same sort of way spread out all over the place um, and not the majority of all these places they're living in. And so by extension, he's saying now that Christians are spread out all over, and yet it is the faith that unites us even as we are in pagan places and under persecution. And he's writing this letter to encourage and uh, in some places to exhort yes. a specific kind of behavior. He says, count it a joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Uh, that sounds backwards. Um, I'm happy when I don't have trials. 
How can James tell me to count it a joy when I suffer trials of every kind? Why why would he do that, Pastor? Yeah, we see this in the book of Acts as well, where they're arrested and beaten and persecuted, and the Christians then rejoice that God had seen them as worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. And it's because they don't love their lives in this world more than they love their Lord. They love God and his promises first and foremost. And so the suffering that we face in this world, they see as a... Um, a testimony that they are faithful Christians and that God knows that uh, if he sends them into a tough spot, they'll still speak and confess the truth in the face of it. It's not the way they're saved. Um, it's because they have faith in Jesus Christ gifted to them by the Holy Spirit. And I think that's what James is saying as well. When when you're facing persecution, it's because the world knows that you are a Christian and uh, and that's why it's trying to get at you. In, uh, it's, it's kind of a reversal theme as well, as well makes me think you know trial in suffering joy in suffering jesus is counted a joy when you suffer for my name so we've got we've got some of those things that are going on here we've got a progression it says the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and steadfastness has an effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing Pastor, is James teaching perfectionism here? No. Um, in fact, I'd say James doesn't think that way at all. James is teaching uh, essentially what we've already said, that um, faith is a gift by God that looks to Jesus Christ, and that in faith you act as a Christian. You look a particular way, um, even in the face of suffering. And so when you suffer as a Christian, it teaches you to love God all the more so that um, the steadfastness uh, produces uh, in your life. Faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness has its effect, and you're perfected in that in the sense that you love Jesus all the more the persecution that you face. You see how he brings you out of it and the promise of eternal life that he grants you, even should they take your life. Vicar, in uh, verse 5 of James 1, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Uh, there's a lot of things going on in this verse because we all lack wisdom. What is this teaching us about the importance of wisdom and the importance of prayer? I think <laughs> uh, what we should first consider is what kind of wisdom is he talking about here? Is he going to be concerned with the kind of wisdom, for example, that would say, when should you plant your crops to get the best yield and uh, to harvest them at the correct time? I don't think that that's the kind of wisdom he's talking about here. He's talking about wisdom as it concerns with your faith. Well, when we as Christians want to learn about our faith and, and gain more knowledge, more wisdom about our faith, where do we go? We go directly to the source. We go to the word of God, the words of Jesus. And that's what he's tel telling us to do here. He's saying if you lack wisdom, if you, uh, if you need more knowledge about your faith, about the things we're preaching about here, uh, go to the word. And God will give you that wisdom if you are faithfully going to the Word and faithfully seeking that out. Now, in addition to the Word, more than just reading it, what else can we do? We, we don't only read the Word of God. We also follow its commands, and God commands us to pray. And we pray for faith. We pray for knowledge. We pray the Lord's Prayer. 
um, all these things that he has commanded us. And through this uh, constant seeking of knowledge, wisdom, uh, we are then granted that through the Holy Spirit, understanding of what we believe. Seems like we're always quick to pray for material things and very slow to pray for spiritual things. And I think that's a, a good point and a good reminder for us. Pastor, uh, several places in the book of James, including in our text, James makes comments about the rich. Is, uh, is James uh, being unfair to people who are rich? Is this a, a social gospel kind of a thing where being rich is bad and being poor is good? Uh, what's happening here with James as he singles out often the rich? Well, I think um, he's teaching what uh, his brother Jesus had taught, right? Um, and he's teaching that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven because of the wisdom that he spoke about before, which he also speaks about in chapter 3. And you see it, it's kind of a wisdom that is from the Psalms or the, the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Faith is the wisdom that he's speaking of. And when you are rich, your faith oftentimes is in your riches and the things that you have and your ability to buy your way out of situations or buy a drug that will heal your illness or pay for a surgery that will take away your cancer or uh, buy a, a car or a house that's bigger or faster. Um, and so your faith oftentimes when you're rich is in your stuff rather than in the Lord. And so if that's the case, then yes, he is directly talking to you because your faith ought to be in Jesus rather than your stuff. But it's not the richness in itself that is the issue. It's the lack of faith that comes out of it. And that's that's what he's addressing. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to approach this because when we think of trials and tribulations and suffering, um, being rich does not seem like a trial or a tribulation, but it is but it is because it can be a huge temptation that gets in the way of Christ and his word. Now, verse 12, I want to I want to uh, give fair time for verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, with God, which God has promised to those who love him. What is this trial and steadfastness that James is talking about here, and it seems to me that he's talking about a perseverance in the faith, that a lot of things are going to come, but uh, stand firm, stand steadfast, and Christ will be vindicated at the end. How do you how do you look at verse twelve? He he again is using uh, the Jesus way of speaking. He's uh, he's giving a beatitude here, and what he's saying is, is essentially uh, summarizing what he said before up here um, when he talked about um, your faith produces steadfastness, and your steadfastness has its full effect. Uh, he's saying that if you have faith and are steadfast in that faith, that you are blessed by God because of that. And it's not again about you. It's not your active. You know, I'm believing and I'm trusting thee, uh, all this nonsense. What it is saying is that um, 
when your faith is right because of God's word and the Holy Spirit's work in you, that's where the blessing comes, and you will receive the crown of eternal life. You are uh, blessed is the one who is faithful unto death, and I will give him the crown of life, Jesus says in the book of Revelation either. It is a Christian truth that when you have the faith and when you die in the faith, God gives his gifts to you. And it is a gift. You receive the crown of gift. You do not earn it. Uh, Great emphasis on a great verse. Vicar, would you bring things to a close by praying the collect of the day? We pray. Heavenly Father, shepherd of your people, you raised up James the just, brother of our Lord, to lead and guide your church. Grant that we may follow his example of prayer and reconciliation and be strengthened by the witness of his death. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. For Pastor Moline and Vicar Goodroad, I'm Pastor Poppy. Thanks for tuning in. Proclaiming the one, majoring in the minors, St. James of Jerusalem. We'll be back again soon. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.